0: Alright, so we were slated to do church history today, but I thought that since we're in the Reformation in our church history study, we might just go through Hosea until the end of it, and then maybe hit on church history again when we're done with Hosea. I just thought we'd give you guys some more Bible, because everybody is relatively familiar with the Reformation, and in Sunday school we've been going through the post-Reformation a whole lot, and so I thought that the Bible would be a, a great benefit to you. So if you would bow your heads in prayer with me before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this night, for this thy people that thou hast gathered and drawn unto thyself. We thank thee for thy Son, Jesus Christ. May we tonight see him in every line and every verse. Holy Spirit, help thou me that I may teach from thy word and not add anything to it. Help me, help us, in Jesus' name, amen. So the book of Hosea is a book about God's electing love, wherein God uses marriage imagery to show us, his people today, his covenant faithfulness, especially in light Of Israel's covenant unfaithfulness the text shows us that God's judgment and his mercy are both loving because he is loving God's judgment to his people in Hosea is a reminder that his judgment is remedial the purpose of it is to bring his people back to himself and while his judgment is severe in Hosea it shows us that he is true to his word and that he is unchanging. He reminds them of their covenant blessings and then starves them of those blessings so that they might remember where their help and their provision comes from and how useless the dead idols that they have gathered for themselves and sacrificed to are. Hosea is a powerful reminder to us that God is right, in all of his works. He is faithful to his word, to himself, regardless of the ignorance of his people. God is not petty or capricious. He changeth not. All of his judgments are according to his own good pleasure. Who can stand in judgment of Jehovah? No man. Chapter 9 continues Hosea's prophetic discourses, pronouncing over Israel that, Not only will they be judged, but they deserve that judgment. They have neglected God's word and thus lack knowledge. Therefore, it's time for Jehovah to judge them. And he's been patient with them for some time now. We're starting in verse 1 of chapter 9. Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people. For thou hast gone a whoring from thy God. Thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. Verse 9 starts as a warning. Rejoice not. Rejoice not. And he tells them why. Rejoice not as the other people, for thou hast gone a-whoring. Israel had placed their joy in the comforts of the world, in the idolatry of the pagans, comforts that came from Baals, false comforts. Israel was acting as those that were not God's people. And this is a major theme and a reason for judgment that that God gives to us in the scriptures in chapter 9 here. The reason for their judgment is because they've acted as the pagans. When the reality is, where should their help come from? From Jehovah, not from the Baals. They ought not rejoice, for thou hast gone whoring. Israel was rejoicing, though they shouldn't have been. Such is the human heart, the world dangles its offering in front of God's people, and the flesh jumps after it time and time and time again. and we've seen in Hosea that that it, this this serves as a warning to us that when we go and we fulfill the desires of the flesh, our hearts become calloused towards the blessings of God, the voice of our shepherd. Israel was was destroyed for their lack of knowledge, and we have to we have to Take that as a warning for ourselves. Thou hast loved a reward upon, on, upon every corn floor. This is grain, the, the threshing floor, where they would beat out the stalks of grain to, to draw out the useful stuff from it. And what the pagans would do is that they, on the threshing floor, where they would, they would get the yield from the harvest, they would sacrifice and, and do ceremonial worship on the threshing floor so that the bales would bless their harvest— And bless their yield. And so when when the scriptures say thou hast loved to reward on upon every corn floor, the Israelites, like the Baal worshippers, were engaging in cultic practice on the threshing floor of grain, where the grain was made of use, separating the grain from the stalks. The corn floor was used by the Baal worshippers and Israel to sacrifice unto Baals for prosperity and provision. I have three notes that I want to take from this verse. One, the action, thou hast gone whoring. The heart, thou hast loved a reward. Three, the scope, on every corn floor. Israel had played the harlot externally, internally, and totally. The scriptures show us that God is concerned with all parts of our worship the action, the heart, the frequency. And most importantly, if the heart is not right, the action doesn't matter, or the frequency for that matter. God is chiefly concerned with our hearts and worship. We can do the right practice week in and week out, but with the wrong heart, it's to no avail. God is not just judging Israel for outward violation of the law, but inward violation. Not only did Israel practice the evil thing, they loved it. They loved it. Verse 2, the floor and the winepress shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. Israel had been trusting in other gods for their provisions, so God would deprive them of grain and wine to demonstrate the folly of those gods, to demonstrate the uselessness of them, and the purpose is to drive them to himself. Think of this, they, they, they were sacrificing to all these other gods, supposing that these gods were providing the yield, the reward, the blessing, and so when that blessing goes away, it will force them to say, hey, maybe these gods are useless. These gods are useless. Their new wine shall fail. New wine doesn't fit into old wineskins or the skins will burst. God is not going to continue tolerating Israel's idolatry. Verse 3, they shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. Whose land is this? The people of Israel at this time had considered themselves to be the owners of the land. They had elected their own kings, appointed their own kings. They had brought in strange religion. They considered not Jehovah, but Jehovah was the Lord of the land. And they acted as if though the Baals were, as if they were. The Lord was about to give Israel the desires of their heart and send them back into exile. They will no longer eat their meals in the promised land. They will eat them in captivity. Verse 4. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord. Neither shall they be pleasing unto him. Their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners. All that eat thereof shall be polluted, for their bread, for their soul, shall not come into the house of the Lord. Israel offers to false gods in vain. However much they had outwardly tried to also please Jehovah, he does not delight in them. All that shall eat thereof shall be polluted. Their worship was mixed. Their worship was mixed. Israel had made their proper worship impure by being idolatrous. Isaiah, who was prophesying in the south at the same time, had similar words. If you want to flip over to Isaiah 66, 3. Isaiah 66, and verse 3. He that killeth an ox is as uh, as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation, as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense, as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. For their bread for their soul shall not come into the house of the Lord. Their ceremonies, which were designed for spiritual purpose, would have no spiritual benefit. They were taking these strange offerings, sacrificing them unto Jehovah, and Jehovah says, No, I will treat them as if you never did them. They're not for me. Simply doing the right things is no good to the soul. So, in, in our worship, our practice will be no benefit to us without the work of the Spirit in our hearts, who works in the Word to instruct us in all righteousness. So we learn from Israel here, and we we emphasized this last week, that God does not just require worship. He requires right worship. Worship according to his word, to his decree, to his pleasure. Do not expect spiritual benefit from mere external religion. You must have a heart religion. So let us ask ourselves tonight, do we come to the Lord as a formality, to check a box perhaps, while at the same time sacrificing to our own bales that we've chosen, that we've erected altars to? Do we maybe even fool ourselves and suppose that our falsified man-made religion is what Jehovah desires, as Israel had done? Well, it looks kind of like Christianity, but is it? Heart worship? Is it according to the word of the Lord? These are very important heart questions that we need to be examining ourselves by. Are we externally worshiping Jehovah while trusting in something else to provide our comfort, our provision, our worth, and so forth? Perhaps it's a job that wasn't good enough for you, so you counted it as though it was a strange source said, yes, this job was a blessing, but it's not God's blessing, clearly, because I don't like it. Or perhaps it's your spouse. Perhaps your spouse, though, in the first honeymoon phase was a blessing to you, but then she sounded, her voice sounded strange, and she went far from you. So you take that as a sign that Jehovah had not blessed the marriage, when in fact it was your distance from the lord distance from his word that actually caused that estrangement and instead of giving thanks to these things to our jobs to our spouses to or to god for our jobs and our spouses and our hobbies and our friends and our circumstance we put it on Baal's altar and ask for a foreign god to give us something better maybe it's your life you say yes god is good but i need more And you go outside of what God has given you to fill that dry space in your soul that you are to fill with Christ. We all have reasons. Every single one of us has a reason for doing this. And the beauty, the beauty is in the gospel. We can approach boldly and give those wicked parts of us to God and he takes them in Christ. We all have reasons like Israel for sacrificing blessings from God on the altars of our bales. And so let us not tonight fall into the trap of believing that what God has given us is not good enough. Let all good blessings that come from God produce gratefulness, produce worship, produce awe and wonder and majesty and fear. He gives us our jobs and our spouses Let us not sacrifice them to our idols and hope that some other God will give us what we think is best. Our rest, our hope, our joy, and our comfort must be in Christ. Mm -hmm. And living as though we actually believe he is sovereign Mm -hmm. is important. Look before you in your life. At the feast of blessings. At the feast of blessings and count them all. Be grateful for each one of them, and do not seek elsewhere for provision, something other than Christ. And do not be surprised, dear church, that like Israel, when those things we sacrifice do not yield the wine and grain they promised, do not be surprised when you then feel far from God, and you hear the voice of your shepherd as a strange voice. You don't be surprised. Back to Hosea. Verse 5. What will ye do in the solemn day and in the day of the feast of the Lord? When Israel is in exile, they will not be able to observe and enjoy the feast days that God had given to them to enjoy they squandered their prosperity. Instead of being grateful, they neglected the knowledge of God. They gave thanks to idols. And I know that in our lives, there's nothing more bitter than looking back on a season where you quite literally had everything. You had that job, you had your friends around you, your family was was intact and together, or whatever that, that ideal situation was, you can look back and remember And you think, man, I wish I would have been more grateful. I wish I would have lived more in that season as a child receiving blessing and not as a heathen sacrificing to idols. There's nothing more bitter than looking back on those seasons where you had everything only to see that you squandered it. The question is a rhetorical one in verse 5. What will you do when you realize what you've lost? And the answer, dear church, is always return, return, believe, trust. Verse 6. For lo, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. The pleasant places for their silver. Nettles shall possess them. Thorns shall be in their tabernacles. Memphis, the city of Egypt, And what this is saying is that Assyria will now be as Egypt to Israel. They will be a new Egypt to Israel, taking them into captivity. And the thorns represent that the time that they were gone, the places of worship, the blessed land, would be overgrown with thorns and nettles from disuse. I'm reminded of Genesis 3.18, thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, A call back to the first curse. The blessings would turn to curses due to unfaithfulness. And in Hosea, we especially see Hosea calls back to Moses, calls back to the book of the law. Says, this is what you were promised. These were your warnings. And Hosea answers and says, now this will be your judgment. This will be your judgment. The blessings would turn to curses due to their unfaithfulness. We're going to take seven and eight together. The days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad for the multitude of thine iniquity and the great hatred. The watchman of frame was with my God, but the prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. Visitation here means inspection or examination. The Lord's judgment would would come, and it would not be subtle. The watchman of a frame. There was a time where the watchman of a frame taught no strange thing, when the prophets were faithful. But now the 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 teachers were snares. Those that ought to lead Israel spiritually had become a trap, leading Israel into death. The prophet was to be an organ for God, yet was leading Israel to slaughter. Verse 9. They have deeply corrupted themselves, as in the days of Gebeah. Therefore, he will remember their iniquity. He will visit their sins. If you want to turn to Judges 19, we're going to read the whole chapter and see what exactly Hosea is talking about here. Gebeah. Judges chapter 19. And it came to pass in those days, when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim, who took to him a concubine of Bethlehem, Judah. And his concubine played the whore against him, and went away from him unto her father's house in Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. And her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly unto her, and to bring her again, having his servant with him and a couple of asses. And she brought him into her father's house, and when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. And his father-in-law, the damsel's father, re- retained him, and he abode with him three days, so they, didn't, so they did eat, drink and lodged there. And it came to pass on the fourth day, when they arose early in the morning, that he rose up to depart. And the damsel's father said unto his son-in-law, "Comfort thine heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward go your way." And they sat down and did eat and drink, both of them together. For the damsel's father had said unto him, under the man, be content, I pray thee and tarry all night and let thine heart be merry. And when the man rose up to depart, his father-in-law urged him. Therefore, he lodged there again and he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. And the damsel's father said, comfort thine heart, I pray thee. And they tarried until afternoon and they did eat both of them. And when the man rose up to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the damsel's father, said unto him, Behold, now the day draweth toward evening, I pray you tarry all night. Behold, the day groweth to an end. Lodge here, and thine heart may be merry, and tomorrow get you early on your way, that thou mayest go home. But the man would not tarry that night. But he rose up and departed, and came over against Jebus. Which, was, which is Jerusalem, and there were with him two asses saddled, his concubine also was with him. When they, were, when, they were, when they were by Jebus, the day was far spent, and the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn into this city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. And his master said unto him, We will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger, that is not the children of Israel, we will pass over to Gebeah. And he said unto his servant, "Come, let us draw near to one of those place, these places to lodge all night in Gabeah or in Ramah." And they passed on and went their way, And the sun went down upon, upon them when they were by Gabeah, which belongeth to Benjamin. And they turned aside thither to go in and to lodge in Gabeah. And when he went in, he sat him down in a street of the city, for there was no man that took, him into, that took them into his house or lodging, house to lodging. And behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at even, when, was, when, was also, his, when also was his mount Ephraim. And he sojourned in Gabeah, but the men of the place were Benjamites. And when he had lifted up his eyes, he saw a wayfaring man in the street of the city. And the old man said, Whither goest thou? And whence comest thou? And he said unto him, We are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, toward the side of the mount Ephraim. From thence am I. And I went to Bethlehem, Judah, But I'm now going to the house of the Lord, and there is no man that receiveth me to house. Yet there is both straw and provender for our asses, and there is bread and wine also for me, and for thy handmaid, and for the young man which is with thy servants. There is no want of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with thee. Howsoever let all thy wants lie upon me, only lodge not in the street. So he brought him into his house, and gave provender unto the asses. And they washed their feet, and they did eat and drink. Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about, and beat at the door, and spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man that came into thine house, that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them, and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you, do not not so wickedly, Seeing that this man is come into mine house, do not this folly. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them I will bring out now, and humble ye them, and do them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vile a thing. But then, but the men would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them, and they knew her and abused her all night long into the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman in in the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was until it was light. And her Lord rose up at the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine was fallen down at the door of the house and her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her up and let us be going. But none answered. Then the man took her up upon his upon an ass and the man rose up and gat him unto his place. And when he was coming into, into his house, he took a knife and laid hold on his concubine and divided her together with her bones into 12 pieces and sent her into all the coasts of Israel. And it was so that all, the, that, all, that all saw it said, there was no such deed done or seen from that day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. Consider it. Take advice. Speak your minds. Hosea is saying that they had been; they were, they were as Sodom and Gomorrah. Gebeah was as Sodom and Gomorrah. They were no better. God compares the wickedness of Israel to Gebeah. This is a terrible, terrible state that Israel has fallen unto. We just read the horrific passage there. This is the severity that Israel had gotten themselves into. Verse ten: I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first stripe in the fig tree at her first time, but they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. Like a grape in the desert, appearing sweet, Israel was once sweet. And a fig tree produces a yield twice a year, and the first harvest was good. Israel was faithful at one point. In chapter eleven, verse one, we see further on in the book when Israel was a child, I loved him. This theme of going from faithfulness to unfaithfulness is present throughout Hosea. We read they went in, continued use of marriage language in Hosea. Israel had committed whoredom with the daughters of Moab in Numbers twenty-five and joined themselves to the daughters of Baal Peor, and so Hosea is comparing that to the, them to that. Season of Israel once again. We see this again a theme in Hosea. Pointing back to the failures of Israel. Back to the warnings of the law. And they were separated them unto that shame. They had become as detestable as the gods they chose to love. To Jehovah, this is, this is divorce language. This is judgment language. This is cutting off language. Verse 11. As for a frame, their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. Their glory, the land and the seed which they were promised would be taken. They would be taken out of the land and dispersed. Their population would be scattered. Verse 12 Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them, that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them where I depart from from them. God is being hyperbolic here. He's being hyperbolic, but the point is the severity of their judgment. It would be severe. Verse 13. A frame, as I saw Tyrus, is planted in the pleasant place, but a frame shall bring forth his children to the murderer. Tyrus was an object of Assyria's aggression. We see this in Amos 1, 9 through 9-10, and Isaiah 23, 8-18. through 13. Israel, though, had covenant obligations, and they were willingly, they were willingly bringing forth their children to the pagans. They were giving themselves over in their idolatry. And Tyrus, one of the chief pagan cities of Phoenicia, is a pagan nation. And God says, "A frame, I saw Tyrus. He compares Israel to a pagan nation. God considered Israel no different from the pagans which he hated. They had forfeited their rights as a covenant nation. This is severe. Verse 14. Give them, O Lord, what wilt thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. The prophet here petitions that the Lord would dry up the women. He acts as an interceder here. So that the children would not be subject to such idolatry. It is better to not have children at all than to sacrifice them to foreign gods. Hosea intercedes on behalf of Israel and he calls for mercy. Let them not have children so they can no longer profane anymore. Cut them off. Dry up their womb and their breasts that they might not be idolaters anymore. Verse 15. All their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them. For the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Gilgal, like many of the places that had once served as a blessing to Israel, had become a cultic center. When Joshua first camped after the crossing of the Jordan River, this this is where we're talking about, east of Jericho. Those born in the Exodus were even to be circumcised in this very spot. What does God say about Gil- Gilgal now? All their wickedness is in Gilgal. For there I hated them. Will love them no more. Love and hate are, are treated as parallels here. I used to love them here. Now I hate them here. And it's used to communicate God's rejection of Israel as a nation. Verse 16. A frame is smitten. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth yet I will slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. The prophet threatens Israel again. Why? Did he not already get his point across? Has he not already been severe enough with Israel? We've read nine chapters, essentially, of this same sentiment. Hypocrites, though, like Israel here, are slow to hear the voice of God. Like a wild ass that we read about in chapter 8. They are not terrified by God's judgment. They are not fearful of his commandments. They must be constantly kicked like a dumb ass, that they may heed the sense of urgency and repent. Israel was not simply being pruned here. They were being rooted up and torn out. His judgment, the Lord's judgment, would be upon them and their children. Why? We continue reading in verse 17. My God will cast them away... Because they did not hearken unto him, and they shall be wanderers among the nations. Hosea constantly appeals to past warnings of the covenant. If you want to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 28, keeping in mind, my God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him, and they shall be wandering among the nations. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, starting in verse 50 eight. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful, and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance, and sore kicknesses, and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Also every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of this law, them will the Lord also bring, will bring upon thee, until thou be destroyed. And ye shall be left few in number, whereas ye were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because thou wouldst not obey the voice of the Lord thy God. And it shall come to pass, that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good, and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught, and ye shall be plucked from the land whither thou goest to possess it. Verse 17, my God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him, and they shall be wanderers among the nations. What Moses says, Hosea applies. What Moses says, Hosea applies. We end in a very bleak part of Hosea some some conclusions and some applications from this text tonight in the form of several questions. Do we feel that God is unjust in our lives? Do we live ungratefully, feeling as though we are right in our idolatry, like Israel did? Do we sacrifice our lives to idols and expect blessing? Do we fear the visitation of the Lord, or do we long for it? When we live in rebellion, the Lord feels far because we know he would be displeased with our lives. And so we fear that visitation. Yet when we live as a pleasing aroma unto the Lord, we we look eagerly to his visitation, to his presence, to his examination. We approach him freely and boldly and swiftly. So treat this as an application to your assurance, dear believer. When you heed the commands of the Lord, you will feel closer to the Lord. You will find that great assurance in Christ. And though your salvation does not hinge upon your faithfulness, your assurance is greatly helped by feeling close to the Lord, by not fearing the manner in which you're living your life in light of the visitation upon you by the Lord. This should motivate us to gratitude, knowing that, Christ drank every drop of the wrath due to us. That when we hide from the Lord, we know that first of all, the Lord sees us. And second of all, he drank the wrath for us. We need not hide from him. And so this week we ought to be motivated to more gratefulness in all things, knowing that God has made a way for us to draw near. God has made a way for us to draw near. Final point to examine ourselves by before we get out of here. When in our lives we take the blessings of God and sacrifice them unto altars, we need to be very in tune when we're doing this. We need to recognize that that thing that you're pursuing, if it be not right in front of you, may not be from the Lord. This is practical application. You can identify, guaranteed, 20 different things that you have right in front of you today. That God has placed right in front of you. Your spouse, your friends, your job, your ambitions, your church. All of these things have been placed in your life and you've been placed in those things. So look at those things and experience more gratitude for them. Put more energy into them. Be more faithful in them. Be more faithful in them and seek not the things that the the idols offer, that the baals offer you. And do not take the blessings of the Lord like your church, like your spouse, like your job. And take them for granted and put them on the altar of strange fire. Amen, Amen. let's pray. High and Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for Thee. I pray that thou wouldst work in us more gratefulness, more humility. Give us eyes to see what thou art doing in us. Help us, help us to see all thy works in our life. That we may glorify thee and live unto thee evermore every day. In Jesus' name, amen.